This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. We're internet sensations, guys. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons, 3 to 7 on WSJS. We made it to a Friday drive. You are listening to WSJS, New Stock Sports for the Triad, where we are closing the book on what's been a fun, nostalgic week, marking five years of this show. But enough of the sentimental stuff and none of that nonsense. Let's talk North Carolina basketball. When Hubert Davis spoke to the media for a summer update yesterday, it was the first time we heard him talk about the issues from last year. It was the first time we heard him talk about the solutions that he's tried to find over the last few months through the transfer portal through the players that they've added. And it only maybe took a few minutes of hearing him speak to realize Hubert's answer to making North Carolina relevant again is essentially a math problem. In other words, they've identified a couple of key stats that were clear weaknesses for them. They've prioritized them in the types of players that they've recruited, and they hope in focusing on those very few areas and improving those, the results will be great. We're getting close to a presidential cycle. When you talk about presidential administrations, every president understands it. Most politicians do that. You can't change everything, but you could choose a few issues. You could choose a couple of issues that you want your administration to be about and make real change in those areas. That's the way Hubert Davis is approaching fixing North Carolina. The two major problem areas from last year, three-point shooting and lack of assist. But don't just take that from me. Here was Hubert Davis yesterday identifying those two areas. There's a number of things that that we needed to address and get better from last year. I, you know, I thought last year we weren't a, a very good outside shooting team. I mean, there's 15 teams in ACC who were 15th in three-point shooting percentage. And so, you know, I didn't think uh, last year we were very good in terms of, you know, ball movement and sharing the basketball out of 15 teams in ACC who were 14th in team assists. And so I feel like we have multiple playmakers now that not only can make plays for themselves, but also make plays for their teammates. And so um, I really like the mix and the combinations of this team. Before we get to that mix and those combinations, the numbers are even worse when you talk about assist and three-point shooting when you, dr- when you dive deeper into it. North Carolina averaged 12 team assists last year. 12 team assists per game. That is the lowest figure in that stat. That's the smallest number that North Carolina's produced since the Doherty era. 20 years. They rank 264th nationally in that category. North Carolina's 31% three-point shooting percentage? That was abysmal. If you think 264 is bad nationally, how about 318th nationally in D1? That's where North Carolina ranked in three-point shooting percentage. That's the University of North Carolina we're talking about. Those are the two areas that the Hubert Davis administration now prioritizing to try and fix. 
to improve the math just a little bit, a few notches, and hoping it will make a massive difference in terms of the wins and losses. So how has he done it? The bulk of the offseason moves that they've made were to either address one or both of these issues. The first thing, parting ways with Caleb Love. He was a ball stopper. He was a black hole at many points. It got in the way of R.J. Davis. It was a funny combination all along, those two trying to coexist together in the backcourt. Him being gone, that allows for a lot of flexibility and a lot more ball movement in the lineup. The reclassification of Elliot Cadeau, related kind of to this, he is a true point guard. North Carolina hasn't had one of those in a while. He comes in, highly touted, going to share the basketball. Other than the West Virginia big, who's probably not going to play all that much, every transfer coming in checks at least one of these two boxes, averaging at least three assists per game or at least 35% from three-point range. One of those two things. All of them check those boxes. Cormac Ryan, Harrison Ingram, Paxson Wojcik, Jalen Withers. Those are the two things. 35% three-point shooting percentage or at least three assists. WD, Will Dalton, the executive producer of the show, real quickly. Only one Tar Heel reached either of those thresholds last season. 35% from three, three assists per game. Can you name the player? Was it RJ? That is correct. RJ Davis. Give yourself a bell. You deserve it. Very good job. My gold star sticker. So the desired benchmarks as a team now, if we're going to extrapolate it and look at the larger math problem, North Carolina was 31% from three last year, 12 team assists. Four is the magic number of improvement in both categories if North Carolina wants to be a great basketball team next year. Can they get to 35% from three as a team? Can they get to 16 team assists per game? That's that's where they need to be. 35% from three, 16 team assists. North Carolina, over the last 20 years, has reached those thresholds. 10 Carolina basketball teams have done so over the last 20 years. In the same season, 35% from three and 16 team assists. 10 teams have done so. Six out of those 10 finished first in the ACC. Nine out of those 10 finished first, second, or third in the ACC. All of them, of course, made the NCAA tournament. And here's what's interesting. All three of the national title teams, 35% from three, 16 team assists. So if North Carolina wants to be one of those contenders that surprises people this year, that's the math problem. Those are the issues that Hubert Davis maybe should approach as if he's a politician. Hey, we're going to prioritize three-point shooting. We're going to prioritize assists so we could change the math and change the fortunes of North Carolina. On Twitter, at WSJS Radio, if you want in on today's show, that's where we're streaming video. Actually, we're not streaming video today. We are not. Still still got some growing pains here with the move. In the move, yeah. So apologies for that. Uh, but we will have that fired up, ready to go for the future. However, and wherever you are listening, we appreciate that. You can still chime in on the show. 
at WSJS Radio. Will Dalton, the executive producer of the show. Happy Barbieheimer Day to UWD. And to you. We're going to partake in some of that. Oppenheimer yes. tonight, a late one, 10 o'clock. Three-hour movie. I, I already picked out some candy. I will be caffeinated. That we're going to be sneaking into this movie some way. Over the last week, speaking of movies or speaking of entertainment, I got around to watching the new quarterback series on Netflix. Have you seen this show? I haven't watched it yet. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the all-access series that followed Patrick Mahomes, Marcus Mariota, and Kirk Cousins around last year. And I was surprised by how good it was, but also how distinct it was. It's different than many of these other all-access shows that you now see for your entertainment. It's worth your time. It's eight episodes, and it's worth your time because it takes the hard knocks model and it applies it to just quarterback. The hard knocks model is this. You get the camp, and then there are three or four players you're hoping make the roster that you fall in love with that are guys that are probably not going to be that good when the season actually arrives or playing that much. But the appeal is, are they going to make the roster? That's hard knocks. But you have those three or four guys who are profiled in every episode. This is that model except players that you know because they play the most notorious position in the sport quarterback and you follow them around the entire season seeing what happens with Kirk Cousins Marcus Mariota and Patrick Mahomes so there's appeal in that and the access that the show got is unlike anything you'll see unlike anything you'll see and the best example of it when the Viking season ended in the playoffs it included cameras in the back seat of the car as Kirk Cousins drove home after his season ended with his wife you got to go into the Kirk Cousins' home and hear him uh, singing gospel songs to his kids as they went to sleep and reading them a book and giving them a shower or giving them a bath. That is incredible stuff. Things that before just seemed to be sacred. I, I hadn't seen that anywhere else. Kirk Cousins, he was so likable in this. Like If you don't like Kirk Cousins after watching this, I don't know if you have a heart. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' wife, who gets a lot of crap, or did prior to this series. Brittany Mahomes, very likable. Jackson Mahomes, not so much. (laughs) I was about to say, did that change? Peyton Manning's production company, though, was the one to create this. So if you're wondering, how how did Netflix get this type of access? Well, Peyton Manning's the one that's creating this, and his post-playing career has been so fascinating to me, because... Everybody just assumed, oh, just go into the Monday Night Football booth, be that guy. You could be in the booth doing all that. And he could have if he wanted to. But he's actually done something greater than being in the Monday Night Football booth. He has created a production company that now has a simulcast for Monday Night Football where he's able to do something with his brother that's a lot more fun than being in the suit and having to go to the games and actually broadcast them. And he gets to create content like this. It's totally different than what you've seen from other star quarterbacks who leave the huddle and then immediately get in the air quote sports media game. So the quarterback series, strongly recommend it. Give it a watch on Netflix. It's The Drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. Hey, Josh, Stan Cotton here. I know I'm not the first and certainly won't be the last to congratulate you on five years with the drive on WSJS. 
It's been a great run, looking for a whole lot more than five. So uh, good luck to many, many more years here talking sports uh, in the triad. Thanks for having me on from time to time to talk about Wake Forest. I'm not sure how you top year five after coming out here with Will to watch the outlaw Josie Wales at the radio ranch. Knowing you, you'll come up with something. But congratulations on the five years, and here's to many, many more. And as always, go Deeks. Thanks, Stan. That's Stan Cotton, voice of the Deeks. We'll hear his voice in a bit when we take it to the house on this Rhinestone Cowboy Friday. A lot of voices of teams joining the show. Will Pelagic, Charlotte FC. We hear Stan Cotton. And now we hear the radio voice of the Carolina Panthers, Anish Shroff, who's kind enough to join us. Training camp starts, I think, report day for the vets is Tuesday. You got kind of orientation for some of the rookies, which you are not now, Anish Shroff. I'm happy to report this weekend how much do you pack for camp Watford well I learned from last year that the dorms actually get pretty cold so the big thing is packing a warm comforter couple of extra blankets I've got my uh twin bedding (laughs) from last year um (laughs) I won't lie, sleeping in a twin bed was a a bit of an adjustment, uh, but I basically had an open double to myself last week, or I guess a split double um, to myself last year, which was nice. Um, But yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really bring a ton of stuff. I kind of simplify less distractions, the better. So yeah, I'll bring my laptop, a couple of books to read, um, some college football, NFL preview magazines, but uh, that's about it. Getting to Bryce Young, this week he signs a partnership with Bojangles, which you had a lot of people, ourselves including, say, well, he's officially one of us now, that type of deal. But really, it goes deeper to that when you start thinking every public step that he's taken since the moment he was on stage in Kansas City being announced as the number one pick has been flawless. He says the right things. He says it the right way. And I can't help but think, you hear from a physical perspective how folks describe him as being a new type of athlete. We have never seen a quarterback that looks quite like him, his frame, take him where he was in the draft. But the way that I look at it that's more fascinating, in my opinion, is he's a new wave of quarterback, the first star who's drafted in the NIL age, and somebody, a scout in college football, mentioned he's going to be great with the pressure because he dealt with more pressure at Alabama and more exposure at Alabama then he's probably going to get his first few years being the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. But based on what you've seen up close and what you hear from people in that building, what's the most impressive thing that you've heard related to him? You alluded to it. Good head on his shoulders. Um, We know, you know, all the talk of, (laughs) you know, his height, his weight. Um, People want to talk. Is he going to be fragile? Can he last? Right. All these questions, though, he's not built like what you want from a prototypical quarterback. Uh, Above the shoulders, I mean, not only does he check every box, he grades out at an AA-plus level. And, you know, Josh, we've been covered in football long enough. We've been following football long enough. There's a lot of guys who played the quarterback position who looked the part a lot, and it just didn't work out. Um at the end of the day, can you process, can you make reads, can you find throwing lanes? It's not like this guy, you know, got to the NFL and all of a sudden he was short. He was short in the SEC. He was short in high school. 
and he has thrived and succeeded at every level. He's figured out a way to make his height a non-factor throughout his career. Um, but the other stuff, you know, the way he processes, the way he uh, consumes the playbook, the way he studies, the work ethic, I know all that sounds cliche, and none of that will matter until he performs and performs well. But that's the stuff that people rave about. And you're right. He played at Alabama. That's a fishbowl. He was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, star in college football the last two years. He's dealt with pressure. He's dealt with expectations. Um, Alabama you know, probably gets more ink than the Carolina Panthers, if we're being honest, So, from a national perspective. Um, so, you know, the pressure, the expectations, dealing with the media, none of that's new for him. And then the financial piece of it, too. Like, I mean, you talk about, like, he's he's seems to have everything in line. It's like, well, I'm, I've already made millions of dollars legally prior to arriving uh, in the pros, and I know how to handle this, and there's just a preparation to be in Alabama that it just seems like that he's ready to go for all the reasons that are off the field. And then on the field, we know what he can do because we saw it again at the highest level. Anish Roff's joining us. Carolina Panthers radio voice. We were talking a bit college football there in relation to what Bryce did prior to arriving in Charlotte. Since ACC football media days are next week, while you're baking in the sun in Spartanburg, we're going to be out at the Westin and Uptown Charlotte. Whose hype are you more skeptical of in the ACC this talking season, as it's called? North Carolina's or Florida State's? Uh, UNC. UNC. I think Florida State, I'll be honest, they've got a chance to be really good. And this is not a slight on UNC. I saw Jordan Travis up close last year. To me, he is a legitimate dark horse Heisman candidate. I did the game where they played Florida Thanksgiving weekend, packed house at Doe Campbell, Anthony Richardson on the other side, and it wasn't even a question who the best quarterback was on the field. It was Travis. He made a couple of sports center top 10 worthy plays. They return a lot of firepower. Now, Mike Norvell is now comfortable. Uh, I mean, he had hot seat questions going into last year, as wild as that sounds. Nobody's talking about that anymore. They have their guy. They finally have a foundation. They have stability. And they've got a quarterback, really their best quarterback they've had since Jameis Winston left town. So I, I think Florida State, just from a, a big picture you know, macro and micro, they just have more pieces than North Carolina. UNC's got Drake May, who might be, you know, a top two, top three pick, maybe even the number one pick. They've got the quarterback. I, I don't think there's going to be a question of them scoring. Can they get enough on the defensive side? You know, that I wonder about. But I, I'm a big believer that Florida State is for real. I, I think Carolina can win, you know, eight, nine games. But, um, you know, you start talking, is this – a team that can you know, win the ACC. If you're going to ask me, I think Florida State's got a real chance to do that. I'm not sure if, if North Carolina has you know, as many pieces as Florida State. Has Clemson, though, done enough in recent years, even though they haven't been to the playoff in the last few, still double-digit wins, that streak continues. Have they done enough to earn the benefit of the doubt to you in, order to be, uh, in terms of being the preseason favorite to win the ACC? I, I think they have. I think they have. I mean, you know, what's a down year for Clemson now? Ten and three? Yeah. You know, so if that's your floor, how do you not bet on that? And to put that in perspective, not... the best season that Florida State has had 
is three conference losses over the last seven years. So FSU, as good as they were a year ago, that would be deemed a down season for the Clemson Tigers. No doubt. I'm a Syracuse alum. You know, 10-3 and I would sign up for every year. And and 10-3 and since I graduated college, which was 2004, the team has won 10 wins. The team has won 10 win seasons. So Clemson, again, is graded on a different scale. And it's very easy for, you know, pundits, especially those who don't cover the ACC, to take shots at Clemson. Oh, they're slipping. I mean, listen, they just had, you know, Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy taken in the first round. They've produced a slew of first-round picks. You know, they've got elite wide receivers littered throughout the NFL, elite pass catchers, elite players on the defensive side. They produce pros. Uh, yeah, are they where they were a few years ago when they had Trevor Lawrence? No, they've taken a step back. But when you go Taj Boyd, Sean Watson, Trevor Lawrence, essentially in succession with a, a little bit of Cole Stout mixed in, you know, you're going to be in the upper echelon of teams and in, in the very top tier of teams. So, yeah, they haven't had the kind of quarterback play that they had during that run, but they got a kid now who I think has got a chance to be pretty good. Uh, we'll see what he can do with an entire year, um, you know, as the starting quarterback. Uh, again, Clemson, to me, you know, when 10 wins is your floor, you know, your, your ceiling is the college football playoff. Anish Roth with us, voice of the Panthers. Let's close with something very, very important. Oppenheimer or Barbie? None. None. Yeah. Oppenheimer, if I had to pick one, but I got to be honest, like, you know, you know what's happened? And I don't know if I'm the only one who feels this way with movies now. Okay. Going to the movies, and I'm a you know a '90s kid. Going to the movies used to feel like an experience. It was a big deal back in the day. If you wanted to watch a movie, you had three options. You you went to Blockbuster, right? You had to go physically rent a movie. Sure. You went to the movie theater, mm-hmm. or you turned on your TV and you hoped that when you were flipping through the channels, there was something good. Ah, Hope for, hoping on. for and Shawshank on TNT. That's what we're hoping Shawshank for. Shawshank or Indiana Jones or what have you. And if you were lucky enough, when you turned it on, you caught it at the start of the movie, not 30 minutes in, and you didn't have to sit through commercials unless you had HBO, but you didn't have on demand, right? Well, now we're at a point where it's so easy to watch a movie. It, it, it really is. Netflix, Apple, Disney, you have so many options. Hulu. You want to watch a movie? You sit on your couch. Everyone's got a big screen TV these days. You, you turn on your TV. You watch a movie from the comfort of your own home. The movie-going experience, like going to a movie in a theater, you know, my kid enjoys it. We'll take her to see Elemental. But I, I'll wait till it's on streaming. I, I just, it, it, you know, it's not, it's not a big deal anymore when movies are so accessible. You know, I think I – think... And again, not everybody has to feel that way, but – I just don't. I used to be a big movie guy. I used to go to movie theaters all the time. I I rarely go now. I think you you're making an an, ex, an excellent argument, which is actually the argument that I made for wanting to watch Oppenheimer tonight, ten o'clock in the IMAX theater because they don't just make movies like that anymore. Barbie, it's like a dime a dozen. It's an you know it's I it's orig, it's not original IP. It's probably going to be a franchise, something of that sort. But the fact that there's no CGI in this movie that features the creation of a nuclear bomb and 
Downey Jr. and Matt Damon are supporting cast members for this guy who's otherwise seen as a B actor aside from Peaky Blinders. That's actually what appeals to me. And uh, the fact that it was shot in IMAX film, it's one of those things that kind of feels like you don't have those movies anymore like the 90s and 2000s where you have to see it in a theater in order to get that full experience. Again, I think most people have an opportunity to get a pretty good movie experience in their living room, at their house. So I just feel that experience, you know, it hasn't changed a whole lot. And I don't know, maybe it's getting people out of the house and going to watch a movie. I just, um, I don't have a strong desire to go and sit in a crowded theater on a Friday night waiting in line. I'll, I'll, I'll wait a couple months and it'll be out on some streaming platform in a few months. And, you know, I'll watch it then. So I'm, I'm in no rush. That's and what I did with, uh, <laughs> that's what I did with most movies these days. Hey, not a bad strategy. Anish Raf, enjoy your final weekend till Spartanburg. And we'll look forward to listening to your voice sometime soon. Thanks for doing that. You got it, man, too. The Drive with Josh Graham, only on WSJS. Hey, Josh, it's Tom. Happy anniversary. Five-year anniversary? Awesome. Longest-running sports talk show in the triad? Awesome. Interviews like Jim Nance, Kevin Harlan, Bob Ryan, Governor Cooper, Daryl Waltrip? Awesome. Rhinestone cowboy singing. Awesome sauce. You like Willow? I like Jack. You like the Orioles? I like the Pirates. But we do have this in common. We both agree that you're the finest, funniest, most knowledgeable, and most entertaining sports talk show host in the triad if not North Carolina. Let's do another five, Josh. Oh, that's uh, the boss man here at WSJS, Tom Hamilton, with some very kind words there. Will Pelagic, he's going to join us in about 10 minutes or so. Charlotte FC off for a month in terms of MLS action. They, it actually is a Charlotte FC game day today, though. And you got the U.S. Women's National Team opening World Cup action tonight. So plenty to talk about with soccer in just a bit. But speaking of Charlotte FC, we might need to change David Tepper's title from being the concert man, a.k.a. the man who brought music to the city of Charlotte. You know, with concerts. We might need to change him from being that to being the turf man. Because... The turf he pushed for, being at Bank of America Stadium, has only created problems for the teams that David Tepper owns. It's been a nightmare for the Panthers. The players detest it. They hate it. They say it publicly. It's not just something they whisper to us when the microphones are off. No, you can read the quotes. The players do not like it. They believe there's been an uptick in injuries because of the turf over the last two years. In fact... The Lions filed a complaint to the league last year saying that the condition of the turf and the game in Charlotte around Christmas time, that did not meet safety protocols. It didn't meet playable safety playing surfaces, what it was supposed to be. So even for turf standards, not very good. And now it could cost them a Leo Messi appearance. 
Now, the moment Lionel Messi was announced to be a member of Inter Miami, tickets were sold through the roof for the October 21st game in Charlotte. And it got to the point where they decided they were even going to open the upper deck. And fans started buying those tickets and buying them in droves. Now there's a chance Leo Messi might not play. Why? Because in all of his years playing professional soccer and international soccer, Lionel Messi has never played on a turf field. He's never done it. And when you look at the two places that he might go that have turf fields in the MLS, it's Atlanta and Charlotte, leading Don Garber, the MLS commissioner, saying there would be accommodations made for Lionel Messi in the way of natural grass at these places so that way he doesn't have to play on turf. Well, yesterday, according to Will Kunkel and now other reports, the Charlotte FC saying that's not going to happen. We're not just going to have a grass field for one game. We're going to stay with the turf, which is leading some to think Lionel Messi might just take the, the game off. Leo Messi's not going to play in that game if it's on that turf. It's a problem that's now been brought up. Now, I do think that if it came down to it, David Tepper would cave here. He's not going to lose out having Lionel Messi play because of the turf and deal with that type of embarrassment. It wouldn't be the first time that he's had grass on that field in a temporary situation. Last year, in order to convince Chelsea to play there in a friendly, they had a grass field that was temporary. I think they would end up doing that to get it done, but it's just another example of this turf field creating problems for the Panthers and for now Charlotte FC. If David Tepper were here sitting in front of us, though, I already know what the pushback would be. You know what the pushback would be, WD, if David Tepper were sitting right in front of us. It would be, let's all say it together, concerts. You know, with concerts. But that's not what we're talking about. I'm not saying that the turf field has created only problems for everybody involved. I'm saying it's created issues for the teams that he owns. This is a sports show we're doing. We're talking about the competitiveness of teams. We're talking about an owner that is the richest owner in the National Football League in terms of his net worth. You can afford what it would cost in order to have the grass field year-round and figure out a way to have concerts on that field, even if it means paying more on the maintenance. You know, with concerts. To have said concerts. You could do that. Oh, but we have all these great concerts. Luke Combs and Beyonce and all that. concerts. Not Taylor Swift, though. Nope. No? Just pointing that out. So, his teams, uh, there are other teams in the league that figure it out, that have concerts and still have a grass field. The Panthers are not one of those teams, and it's created problems as a result. Will Pelagic going to join us in just a few minutes on Twitter at WSGS Radio. If you would like to chime in on the show, 336-777-1600, the phone number on this Rhinestone Cowboy Friday. My name is Josh Graham, Will Dalton, the executive producer of this show. You can't see this because we're not streaming video today, but I've got my Baltimore Orioles shirt on. It's live action, Tracy. 
What was that? We're live. Oh, that's true. We are. The Orioles are first place in the AL East all by themselves, WD. That is the word on the what street. What a game that was. Yep. Ramon Urias at second base, snow coning it to prevent a run from going in. Felix Bautista pitching two scoreless innings, closing things out in extras. Amazing game. Great double play to close things out. So here's the deal. You know I love the Orioles. But you might be thinking sitting there, Josh, read the room. Why should I care? If you like baseball, you should care. And here's why. They've been the best story in baseball. No team has been a bigger surprise than Baltimore has. Now, we thought they'd be good. Let's be clear there. But last year, WD, they weren't bad. And they were still 18 games out of first at this point in the season. Now they're in first place. Nobody saw that coming. They're the biggest surprise who just so happens to be in the most difficult division in all of American professional sports. That is fascinating. And they also have the best farm system, which means they have the most stuff that they could trade away at the deadline to get even better. So with the deadline approaching, they're an interesting team. So if you care about the deadline, if you care about baseball, this is a team to get behind and find interest in. And they still have this series with the Rays going on. Three more games in it. Game two being tonight. So that's a reason why. That's a call to you to care about the Baltimore Orioles. I don't know if it was successful or not. And the news of the world's greatest entertainer, the hardest working man in show business. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the show. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. can't think of a better person to talk to today than our guy will pelagic as we do each week voice of charlotte fc no charlotte fc matches on wsjs until mls action resumes in close to a month but that doesn't mean charlotte fc is sitting idle we'll talk more about that in a second tonight is also the u.s women's world cup debut for the Australia-New Zealand World Cup that started yesterday. It's going to be Vietnam and the United States at 9 o'clock tonight. Willie P., any concerns at all about the Americans, or is this just going to be fun and people making jokes about the war 50 years ago? I I wouldn't say it's a a walkover, Josh, only because of the fact that there is a lot of the old guard from the last World Cup championship that – has turned over. There have been a couple of injuries also to some key players that have kind of hampered them coming in, although they are trying to somewhat change the guard a little bit and bring in some younger players. There was a great article written by uh, Henry Bushnell of Yahoo who basically detailed the fact that this is a very pivotal time for the U.S. women's national team because, unfortunately, uh, COVID kind of tamped down a lot of the forward movement that was going on in the youth circuit of the women's game right now. And as a result, it has led to a curbing of the development from inside U.S. soccer. So uh, they might not have had the type of seasoning that normally the players that are going into a World Cup would normally have. So from that aspect, that'd be my only worry. And the only other worry is the fact that a lot of other countries in the world have 
actually started to invest themselves in women's soccer, England most notably, and they've had a little bit of a rivalry with the U.S. women's national team over the course of the last couple of years leading up to this World Cup. That's the, the group that at least has my biggest fear, but I'll be watching like everybody else. Will Pelagic with us here on Twitter at Willie P. Style. So it's been a big week in soccer locally when you consider Wrexham play, playing Chelsea. Uh, or, uh, yeah, that was uh, on Wednesday night that that mm. ended up happening uh, in Keenan Stadium. That was a pretty cool deal watching did, that. Did, did Wrexham really show up? Because it looked like they didn't, <laughs> given the scoreline. That's a good point. Ryan Reynolds apparently was in the building, but I didn't see any videos or pictures that confirmed the case. And Blake Lively was not there. And uh, you could make an argument Wrexham wasn't there either. Um, Charlotte FC not sitting idly as well with a lot going on with the All-Star stuff. And they have their own matches to tend to as well, don't they? Yeah, the League Cup uh, actually begins tonight. Uh, no radio tonight for that contest, but we will be on the air next week for their game against Nacoxa, which is the second game in group stage play in this brand-new tournament. At least it, it's new in the current incarnation. They have been playing this over the course of the last couple of years, but uh, it's now for the first time open to everybody in Major League Soccer and Liga MX. It's all the teams in both leagues playing together. Uh, all the groups are basically three teams deep. The two top teams in each group will advance on to a 32-team knockout stage. It's a great opportunity to try and bridge the two greatest brands in CONCACAF right now. And, and as a result, it's a very fascinating situation right now for Charlotte FC. And I, I think the words that uh, have been used by the coaches and players leading up to this is uh, it's kind of a palate cleanser because Charlotte FC, as you know, Josh, uh, going into the League's Cup, uh, no results uh, last weekend. They did have five draws going into that game against Montreal, but have not won since the 27th of May. Uh, this serves as a kind of a reset button for them to try and uh, get themselves not only healthy, but also in a right form for the stretch run of the MLS season, which begins on August the 20th, as you mentioned. Okay, so the a lot of people are reacting to this turf conversation when it comes to the turf war the turf, the war. turf war yes the turf war Lionel Messi hasn't played on turf so folks are already suggesting because of the report that Charlotte isn't going to change out turf for natural grass for just one game on October 21st he might consider sitting out even though Messi has not commented and saying anything specifically like that there was the athletic comment from Commissioner Don Garber where he's saying that that Charlotte and Atlanta would accommodate the fact that he has never played on, you know, turf to give a natural grass effect. I my encouragement would be not to overreact either way to this headline right now and because there is precedent, right, to Charlotte having temporary natural grass. Didn't they a year ago do that for Chelsea for example? Like how do you look at this what do you how do you respond to the headlines of the last day well, well there is precedent to doing it for an exhibition like with Chelsea and, and the FC series required that uh from their perspective same thing went for the world cup uh, for the uh the gold cup I should say uh earlier this summer when the United States men's national team played for the first time at Bank of America Stadium but there is no precedent for doing it for an MLS regular season match now that's where I feel like we have to kind of put almost a caution in here because there's a lot of factors at play here. Number one, there has been nothing that Messi has said publicly, privately, or whatever, nothing that I can see in print that he has said about not playing on turf. He actually does have some 
experience playing on turf in some testimonial matches outside of the United States, so it's not completely foreign to him, pardon the pun. And the other part of this, too, is that it creates a pretty, I would say, dangerous precedent for the other teams inside MLS. There's five of the teams that have turf in their stadiums, including two others in the Eastern Conference, Atlanta and New England. Atlanta's going to get the first crack at this here in September, and so we'll at least have a window into his way of thinking. But there's also a lot of time between now and then. I mean, there's uh, Messi could potentially pick up an injury between now and then. Inter Miami could potentially decide he, they're going to shut down Lionel Messi if they somehow can't make themselves into the postseason between now and the time that season ends. So I, I really feel like from Charlotte FC's perspective, there's a lot of reticence to want to accommodate that. Thinking also of the fact that if there's the potential that Messi doesn't play and Charlotte FC is fighting for a playoff spot, why would you want to help out the opponent if you're playing on decision day, needing a victory, potentially needing to deny your opponent a victory to try and get yourself in postseason? To, to me, Charlotte FC's first obligation is to making sure that they have the ability to get their team in the best position to win. Will Pelagic, am I going to see you next week at ACC Media Day? You may. I might be tooling around there. I don't have an official duty uh, as I had in previous years uh, next week, but uh, I have at least put in for uh, the requisite credential and uh, the reunion that always is of sorts uh, that we get at the Westin Hotel in Uptown. All right, yeah. Then maybe we can do our visit at some point live in person. This is the part where and maybe we And maybe we can also do the, uh, uh, the media party because I do always love the media party. Yeah, media party is good too. Yeah. Live in person, we could potentially do something. It's live action, All right. Thanks, Willie P. We'll talk to you next week. I also can't wait for the mountain of Bojangles Supremes that they bring Thursday. So that, that, that one to me is, is, is why I'll definitely come up. That's worth probably submission itself. It is, no doubt. And the cookies.